So this morning I'm speaking to you about something quite different from what we have been doing. We've been looking at uh, 1 Peter. We did a five-part series on 1 Peter. This morning we're actually going to the Old Testament, the other half of your sword. I said to my wife, I said, some, I think there are many people that only use half a sword uh, because they only read the New Testament. Now, I love the New Testament. I probably spend majority of my time there, but the Old Testament is just so rich in understanding the ways of God. And so I want to invite you that we go, and my message this morning is entitled... The last sermon. Ho, ho. Now don't worry, it's not the last sermon hopefully in my life. I'm not planning to go anywhere, okay? Some of you are just thinking, oh man, this, this is going south. No, no, no. Some of you are getting happy. Hallelujah, it's the last sermon. Eh? No, 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 no. Why am I calling this the last sermon? I was trying to, trying to think of a, of a sort of a catchy title. So, so why am I calling it the last sermon? So if you just click, the subtitle is The Last Sermon of Moses, okay? We're looking at the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' last sermon. Or actually, to be more correct, his last three sermons. So this book of Deuteronomy, remember, fifth book in the Bible. So you have Genesis, your first book, which is all about the beginnings, and then from chapter 12 about Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And then we have Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, which are all about the Exodus, this journey of the Israelites out of bondage, the land of bondage, into the promised land and their journey there. Uh, together with all God's dealings with them, God's shaping of, an, of, of, of a people that had no identity, to give them an identity, to give them, uh, importantly, laws and principles by which they should live. So those three books are, are all about what happened, etc. And then comes Deuteronomy, the fifth book, which also makes the first five, completes the first five books, which we know as the Pentateuch. The first five books, and the first five books of the Bible are uh, people, we, we recognize Moses as the author of the first five books of the Bible. But Deuteronomy is different, because in Deuteronomy, the Israelites literally are on the east of the Jordan. They're about to cross into the promised land. They've been traveling for 40 years from Egypt, you know, wandering in the wilderness. They're about to cross the promised land. And Moses gives these three powerful sermons, which he writes down, in which he's summarizing the important aspects of the books of uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. It's a summary, a condensed summary that he puts in these three sermons. So that's why I say it's the last sermon. But I, I want, I mean, it's quite amazing if you understand the context in which this, this book was written. Now I want to highlight that this book was very significant, for example, in the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, remember when he was tempted by the devil? He spoke. When the, when the temptation came, he spoke three times. There were three temptations. And every time Jesus spoke and he quoted scripture. And the book of the Bible he chose to quote from was Deuteronomy. All three scriptures that Jesus quoted from was Deuteronomy. Okay? That tells us Jesus read Deuteronomy. He memorized some verses, etc. So the Holy Spirit could prompt and bring that word in his, in his place of trial. And he spoke to the enemy and said, Hey, Satan, get out of my face, basically. I'm giving you a summary. It wasn't quite that, but it was basically that, okay? But I want to encourage you. Who knows? 
Maybe there's some powerful spiritual warfare verses in Deuteronomy for you that you need in your place of trial or temptation to speak to the enemy, to tell him, get out of my face. This is what the Word of God says. Amen. And um, the book of Deuteronomy was extensively quoted in the New Testament. Uh, there are over 80 times in the New Testament did did writers of the New Testament scriptures quote verses from Deuteronomy. So it was a book that was well known by the apostles, by Jesus. It was a, it was a portion of scripture that they studied, they knew, etc. And they often drew from in terms of the New Testament writing. So just understand that. So that's a bit of a context in terms of the Bible. Now what I want to look at on the next slide is just let's look at... Oh, it's not the next slide. Mm, that's fine. We'll go with the flow. Okay. Let's just read this about Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a sermon, actually a series of sermons, three sermons. It is the longest sermon in the Bible and maybe the longest sermon ever. Deuteronomy presents Moses standing on the plains of Moab with all Israel assembled before him, preaching. It is his last sermon. When he completes it, he will leave his pulpit on the plains, climb a mountain, and die. The setting is stirring and emotion-packed. Moses has entered the biblical story of salvation as a little baby born in Egypt, under a death threat. Now, 120 years later, eyesight sharp as ever, and walking with a spring in his step, he preaches this immense sermon and dies, still brimming with words and life. Wow. Guys, he's 120 years old and he's preaching this, the longest sermon ever. Folks, how many of you have read this and you're saying, what a way to go. What a way to go. You know, I mean, you know, who knows how we're going to go? We don't know. But you know, to kind of just fizzle out and eventually, you know, you can only one, open one eye and then kind of, you know, you die. I'm like, I want to go like this. He's preaching his heart out, climbs a mountain. How many of you think at 120, I'm going to climb a mountain? And then, you know, you're going to meet with the Lord. From there, you're getting out of your earth suit and you're going to heaven. I'm thinking, man, I could sign up for this. Lord, where do we sign up for this kind of an exit? Amen. I mean, he's finishing strong. He's going out firing. He's still full of faith, full of conviction. And this, folks, you know what I love about this message? Is that Moses, he knows he's going. He's, the Lord has said you not to enter the promised land. God promised them they would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. He knows. And they're going in and he can't go in. And God told him, I'm going to take you. He needs to, he's going to die. But he's not thinking about himself. You know, so many people are so self-centered and woe is me. Oh, guys, I'm going to die soon. Oh, no, he's full of faith. And this whole sermon is not about him. He's thinking about the children of Israel. He's thinking of the next generation. He's preaching to them that they will be successful and prosper in this venture of crossing the Jordan, conquering all the... The, the enemies and taking this promised land. He's future focused, even though he's dying. Amen. I love it. I am like you. Some Christians need to get a bit of Moses in, Moses mojo inside of them. Amen. I mean, you need to just get a life and it's not about you. Just invest in the next generation. Amen. Stop thinking and feeling sorry for yourself. Yes, you're going to die just like the rest of us. But there are people who are going to live. And is your faith going to live on in other people? Amen. 
I mean, this guy is amazing. And also, I want to say, he's preparing them for the challenges. They had to take Jericho and many other cities. They had battles to fight. They had, the Jordan River was in flood. They had to cross a flooded river. He remembered how they crossed the Dead Sea. He's like, guys, you're going to do this. Amen. I mean, he's so focused on the next generation. Even though he's dying, he's still living for the next generation. Because faith lives on. Amen. So I'm just, you know, sometimes you read the text of Scripture and sometimes when you just read a a bit broader and see the context, just how this book was framed, I'm like, wow, this is so beautiful. This really ministers to me. Okay, so now we're going to the next slide. And I've got a map for you because I know you guys love maps just like me. You can't wait for the next map. What's happening here? Okay, so that's basically Israel. There's the blue is the Mediterranean Sea. And this pink blob there in the middle is Moab. So he basically, Moab was a region uh, that's indicated, and it was on the plains of Moab. It was actually three different places uh, in this last year of his life that he preached this sermon, and then he wrote it down, which we know is the book of Deuteronomy. And we see in Deuteronomy 1 verse 1, which I've got there, these are the words of Mo- of the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan. So down the middle there you see the Jordan River and at the top the Sea of Galilee and at the bottom the Dead Sea. So they this side and they need to cross to the other side into their promised land. And it was in that region that Moses preached at 120, folks. Did you realize he was 120? Have I mentioned to you that he was 120? Okay. So how many of you, how old do you need to be before you get ready to preach? Amen? Okay, just wondering about that, okay? Uh, so, so it was in that region that these three sermons were preached. And then the next slide, just got a little summary. And Amul will recognize this because this is from the, the, the L215 notes. Remember this table, Amul? Um, and this gives a summary of, on the left there, the three sermons, one, two, and three. And the portions of Scripture that they cover from chapter 1 to 4 is the first sermon. Then from chapter 4 to 28 is the second sermon. And 29 to 32 the third. And where they were, okay? East of the Jordan in Moab, in the Valley of Beth Peor in Moab. And then what's the content? The first one is past record of Israel's journey. The second sermon, future concerns of life in the promised land. And then the covenant renewal. Uh, just summarizing briefly, you know, what this book of, book of Deuteronomy is about. And it's uh, the, 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 the word Deuteronomy. I mean, so many people stumble over the pronunciation of Deuteronomy. It's like uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, sorry, I didn't hear that. Deuteronomy. <laughs> it is a, word, a mouthful, but the word Deuteronomy literally means the second law. Because the Lord had given all the laws and, and principles and instructions on how this nation was meant to function in the books uh, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And here in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving a summary of that, a condensation of that. And so that's what the word Deuteronomy means, literally the second law. It's the second time they're hearing it. But also, very importantly, remember the first time it was given, it was given to a generation that didn't have faith to enter the promised land. And the Lord said, okay, you don't have faith to go. Okay, you'll die in the desert. And so this generation, the Joshua generation that are now going to enter the promised land, they hadn't heard the law. They hadn't heard the first time God gave it to them. They weren't there at Mount Horeb when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses and he came down and presented to him. 
because they hadn't heard it. So he needed to re-speak it to them. Amen. And there are things we need to re-speak to the next generation. Amen. You've heard it. You've got it inside of you. Now, come on. Amen. That's why you have a connect group with younger people in it. Amen. So that you can pass on what God has given to you and God has spoken to you. So there we go. Okay. So let's move on. Just a little bit of commentary about, uh, about Deuteronomy on the next slide. Deuteronomy is one of the greatest books of the Old Testament. Its influence on the domestic and personal religion of all ages has not been surpassed by any other book in the Bible. It is quoted over 80 times in the New Testament, and, and this it belongs to a small group of four Old Testament books, the others being Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, to which the early Christians made frequent reference. Okay, These four books of the Bible, Genesis, Psalms, and Isaiah, and Deuteronomy, were the four books that the early church, the early Christians studied a lot and really um, got so much from. So that's just for you to understand it. Okay, so let's jump into Deuteronomy. And we're going to Deuteronomy 1, verse 5 to 8. And it says, Moses began to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance. See, verse 8, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. So this is where he starts speaking. Before this, uh, he's giving kind of background context. He's mentioning places and distances from Horeb, etc. But yeah, he's now speaking. And I find it so intriguing. He's starting here by talking about this Mount Horeb. And the first thing he tells them, he reminds them what God said, you've stayed long enough at this mountain, break camp and advance. Okay? He's actually, if you go and look back in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, this, uh, this story of them leaving Mount Horeb is in Numbers, I think it's chapter 10, is where it happens. So he's not actually, he's not actually starting the bigger beginning of Exodus in the sermon. He's picking up on this point where God told them to leave Horeb and move on towards the promised land. And why does he do that? Because that's exactly where they're at. They're standing. The Jordan is over there. They're east of the Jordan. They're going to cross the Jordan into their promised land. And he's reminding, listen, God told you to be there. This is God's will for you. This is what God is telling you to do. But it's interesting that he starts off with reminding them about Mount Horeb. So he starts this about Mount Horeb. So what is Mount Horeb? Mount Horeb is also known as Mount Sinai. It's mentioned, there's quite a lot that happened around this mountain. Firstly, remember Moses is 120 years. I remember somebody once giving the summary of Moses' life. That the first 40 years of his life is when he basically grew up in the, uh, the palace of Pharaoh and he thought he was quite a big cheese. He thought he knew it all. And he was, uh, as, as the commentator said, the first 40 years of his life, he found, found out who he was. And, he, and, he, and, he, and, and he, you know, living in Pharaoh's household, leadership would have been imparted to him, which is what he, what he was, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible. Okay? 
The next 40 years is when he went into the wilderness and he, he married, etc. But he was basically a shepherd in the wilderness for the next 40 years. Shepherding is an important leadership skill. Amen. But remember, he had the burning bush experience where God basically called him and told him to go back to Egypt to the people. That burning bush experience was at, at Mount Horeb. A major, a major moment for Moses. Many years later, um, the Lord leads Moses and the children of Israel to this mountain where he calls, he calls Moses to go to the top of the mountain and basically get the Ten Commandments. Remember the two tablets of stone? That was on to the top of Mount Horeb. You go read about it. There was thunder and lightning and smoke. I mean, it was a phenomenal, supernatural God encounter moment. Folks, and yeah, Moses telling him, God told us, leave Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb, folks, represents burning bush experiences with God. Mount Horeb represents fire and supernatural tablets and commands and wow stuff. Folks, those stuff, those God encounters are meant to empower you to enter your promised land. You can't stay at Mount Horeb and say, Oh God, you gave us ten commandments. Can't you give us a few more? It was so nice getting those ten commandments, you know. Or the burning bush. Oh God, it was amazing seeing that burning bush. You know, I don't really want to go back to Egypt to fulfill my calling and destiny. Can't we just have more burning bush experiences? Folks, God gives you those encounters to empower you for the next season of your life. And so many Christians want to stay there at the burning bush or this mountain, etc. And they don't move on into the things that God has for them. Amen? And I want to, but I want to bring another angle to this. Remember when Moses was on that mountain, the people, Moses told them, don't come near to this mountain. But they also didn't want to come near. They said, we don't want to come near you go, Mo. And he was away for longer than they expected. And they thought, oh my goodness, you know, that thunder and lightning. Maybe Mo didn't make it up there. And, you know, it's good to have a God. And so they, they crafted the golden calf. Literally at the base of Mount Horeb. While Moses is up there chatting to God, getting the, 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 the Ten Commandments. They make the golden calf. One of the lowest moments, I think, in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the Exodus story of them journeying is making that golden calf. I read that. It's like, oh, God, this is so sad. Folks, and you can, you can say, yeah, a bunch of nonas. Why did they do that? Folks, but when, whenever we go anywhere other than God for those important things that we need from God, it's the same as making a golden calf. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. All the times that we have gone to other places instead of to God to get the stuff that only God can provide. Okay, don't show hands, okay? Um, now you shouldn't even nod this way. You should go, you should go, no ways. Okay, remember right now you're nodding this way. Just now the camera picks you up, okay? And you're nodding this way. You should be nodding this way. No way. I don't do that. I'm kidding, okay? There is, I got a picture just doing worship. I was thinking about Mount Horeb. And, and folks, when I was thinking about when God says, <laughs> you have stayed long enough at this mountain. For some of us, it's, it. It represents some really good stuff. But you know, sometimes 
the good is the enemy of the best. Yesterday can restrict you from entering into tomorrow because you can't let go of yesterday no matter how good it is. You know, the good old days. We all have good old days. There are things in my past I wish I could go back and do over and have over. But I can't. I got to drink and get as much as I can from, from Mount Horeb. I'm remembering my Ten Commandments, whatever you got from your mountaintop experience. I'm remembering it. It's become a conviction in my life. I'm, I, I, it's transformed. I'm transformed by that moment. But that, I've got to move on. I can't stay at Mount Horeb. But for many in this nation of Israel, it was the golden calf moment. It was a moment of, you numbskull, you idiot, why did you do that? It was the idiot moment, okay? Now don't call yourself an idiot, but sometimes, some things we do, it's just like, how do you describe that? That was just, that was stupid. That was just foolish, amen? I got a picture of, of it was like a, a, a mirror, it was a glass mirror that was shattered, and it represented, for some of us, a memory from the past that was just holding us there. It was a golden calf moment. It was a shattered piece of glass. It was a place you looked at, but this is the thing. There was such regret. And I believe this morning God's wanting to set you free from regret. Regret is something, Jen and I have often, in many years in our marriage, said we're not going to live with regret. But, but folks, sometimes, guys... I could write a book on regret, but it's not going to help me moving into the promised land. There, I have made some mistakes, and I've taken to God, and I wish I didn't make those mistakes, but I still made them. But God says, you've stayed long enough at this mountain of regret, this mountain of mistakes, this mountain of shame. Amen. Break camp and advance. This morning I'm saying to break camp and advance. Can we move on? And I want to show you what that looks like. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore He would give to your fathers and to the descendants of them. Are you okay to move away from camp regret and remorse and I wish I didn't and I was such a numbskull and all that stuff? Can we move on from that? As well as from the burning bush and the mountaintop experiences, they were there to define you and shape you, make you more godly, give you more faith, inspire you for the promised land. Amen. Let's move on. So what I'm, I want to, I want to put on the next slide. This is a quote from a guy called Henry Longfellow. I don't know, but he said, "Great is the art of the beginning, but greater is the art of the ending." Greater is the art of the ending. I want to tell you, I have been, if I look back in my life, quite good at starting things. But I'm learning to get better at ending things. And sometimes, what are we talking about? We're saying moving on. That means there's some things you need to end. Can you deal with your regret? Can you end your regret well? Can you end your season of mourning and feeling sorry, etc.? Can we end that and can we move on? Dr. Henry Cloud said in his brilliant book, Necessary Endings, brilliant book, I recommend it highly. He's the same guy, co-author of the Boundaries book, etc. Um, he wrote this in this book. Today may be the enemy of your tomorrow, in your business and perhaps your life. The tomorrow that you desire and envision may never come to pass if you do not end some things that you are doing today. That's so profound. On the next slide, I've just got some more quotes also just from the introduction to his book. 
Life has seasons, stages, and phases. For there to be anything new, old things always have to end. And we have to let go of them. Getting to the next level always requires ending something, leaving it behind and moving on. Growing itself demands that we move on. Without the ability to end things, people stay stuck. And that's my thing. I'm hoping that some of you will get some unstuckness going in your life here. Never becoming who they were meant to be. Never accomplishing all that their talents and abilities should afford them in business. Endings often are absolute necessities for a turnaround or for growth to occur. And so I want to just get very practical with this. And I want to share two simple keys. You guys are going to say, "Mm, I know this, but are you doing it? Two keys to moving on. The one is forgiveness and the other one is repentance. If you're a Christian, you say, ah, I know that. You know, I was seven when I forgave my first friend. Yeah, but now you're 77. And you've got a few more friends you need to forgive, right? Forgiveness on the next slide is a command. Folks, the Lord never in Scripture says, well, if you feel the Spirit of God leading you to forgive somebody, you forgive. No, in every case, If you read the Bible, the scriptures about forgiveness, it just tells us to forgive. Because if you rely on your feelings, folks, can I tell you, I often don't feel like forgiving. The flesh cries out for vengeance and revenge, and it doesn't like to forgive. So if you don't like forgiving, we'll say, you know, I'm with my pastor on that one. (laughs) Forgiveness is something you do based on a loving God who knows what's best for you. You know, it's like when your mom wants to give you some medicine and it doesn't taste good. Your mom knows what's best for you. You need to take this medicine. This is medicine you need to take. I don't care if you don't feel like it. I often don't feel like it. I prefer vengeance and revenge. And, you know, if we can have some fire down from heaven, it will be really helpful. I'll forgive the person much better if we can see some fire coming down from heaven, Lord. But it's not going to happen that way. Amen? Because this thing is going to grow you so much. You're going to be so much more like Jesus. Amen? Ephesians 4 verse 32 says, Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. How quick do you forgive and how thoroughly do you forgive? Have you thoroughly forgiven? You know, what is thoroughly? I kind of think of, I don't know, I get this, this idea of, you know, we've had a number of children over the years. Well, actually four. We've got four children, but... But, you know, kind of when a junior child, let's say under 10, when you ask them to do something, you know, will you wash your plate? Okay. Or your bowl. You know, your cereal bowl. You've just had cornflakes in your cereal bowl. It's not hard. Just run some water. and, re- You know? And then they will go and they do their thing. And then you look at that bowl and there's still, you know, on the one side, quite a few cornflakes stuck and everything. But it's in the drying rack. And you look at this and you say... Was that thoroughly done? I think you can do a better job than this. Okay? Just a little bit more under the water there, and we can get all the cornflakes out of there. Okay? Thoroughly. Okay? Just do it properly. Have you thoroughly forgiven? And the other word in this verse is quickly. Do you do it quickly? Folks, I'm convicted. Sometimes I take a while. Mm, I'm warming up to forgiving, Lord. I'm going to get there. Oh, well, oh, oh, absolutely. Okay? 
Like, can't I just do a little bit of vengeance for a little bit? A little bit of, you know, just a tiny bit. We'll get to the figure. No, no, no. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Amen. Guys, I hope you've got a sense of humor with these things. This is, this, you can get too somber with this kind of stuff. Okay. Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What's your standard? What's our standard as believers? What's our standard for forgiveness? As the Lord forgave you. Amen. That's a big level of forgiveness. He says he takes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's a lot of forgiveness. Amen. So, folks, forgiveness is, is a prayer. And remember, Peter thought he was so spiritual when he said, Lord, how many times must I forgive? Seven times. <laughs> and the Lord said seven times, 70. In other words, as much as you can, every time you think of it, you forgive. And I want to say this also. Forgiveness, the prayer of forgiveness often requires a name. There's a person right there. It's not just, oh, I forgive them. You know, those naughty people at school that were so horrible to me. You can do general. I'm telling you, if I, you're sitting with me, I'm going to say, whoever, you know, I'm going to say, Rebecca, can you put some names in there? Okay, who is it? Okay, I forgive Gookley. No, not Gookley. No, she's sitting next. She's a nice person. Okay. <laughs> okay. It requires names. Amen. And that is just because, you know, the wounding we experience in life is quite personal. And so personal forgiveness. And the person never needs to know that you needed to forgive them. Amen. It's about you getting free. And that does, this, you know, let me say, you know why people, I believe, people sometimes struggle to forgive because there's an inbuilt sense of justice inside of us, of right and wrong. And if you've been wronged by somebody, there's the sense of, well, if I hold on to this, then at least um, I'm somehow going to ensure that there's some punishment towards them. There's the sense of, if I release them, there's an injustice here because then they're getting off scot-free. Folks, you're forgiving them from the pain they've caused you. But remember that the Bible says vengeance is, belongs to the Lord. The vengeance is the Lord. In God's eyes, we're accountable to Him for everything we do. The good, bad, and, and the ugly. And so God sees that. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll release it. You did see that. I pray the person will come to repentance themselves. I hope they don't in the sweet by and by in the sky, have to face the great, great white throne judgment and give an account for this. I really hope they come to. But when you release it, it does not remove the, 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 the reality that there's going to be accountability for everything one day. Amen. You are not doing an injustice by forgiving somebody. You are setting yourself free. This is so important to understand. The next thing, Repentance. Repentance. I've got this script to you. Repentance brings refreshing. Some of you think repentance is a kind of religious word. Repentance brings refreshing. Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Folks, it's refreshing to be free from this stuff. Okay, forgiveness is when people have sinned against you. Repentance is when you have sinned. Amen? Folks, we are talking about 
leaving Mount Horeb, moving into the promised land. There are some times that you need to release people who are preventing you from entering the promised land, forgiveness. But there are some of us that we are sitting here, it's our own mistakes and stupidity and sin that is preventing us from entering the promised land. What do we do? This verse says, repent then and turn to God. That is, in essence, what repentance is. Repentance means turning. And it's turning, very importantly, from whichever direction you were going, which was, which was not godly, towards God. That's what it means. It literally means turning 180 degrees towards God. It means turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. You turn to God. You say, God, forgive me. Now, remember, the prayer of forgiveness can be prayed towards others, but big time asking the Lord for, you, for forgiveness. That's an element of of repentance, you're turning to God and saying, God, forgive me for going down that road. That was, that was crazy. I don't know why I went down that road, Lord. Just forgive me regardless. I turn to you. And it says times of refreshing will come. Some of you are like, oh, God, I need an outpouring. I need, you know, touch me, Holy Spirit. And the Lord's saying, just repent, please, and we will see an outpouring in your life. Amen. It's amazing. When you pray with some people, I mean, we, we often in our sozo times, you know, we're leading and we're dealing and closing doors and closing stuff. And people, literally, so often they will say, sure, when they walk out, say, yo, it's, it's, it's light in here. Did you put more lights on? Or they say, I'm feeling lighter. I mean, in the, it's just the weight of sin is, is, is off. And that is refreshing. Amen. That is refreshing. So repentance is turning to God in your heart, turning from any other path that is not towards God. Okay, Folks, we're talking about entering the promised land. Moving on from Mount Horeb. This is what it looks like. It's always internal before it's external, folks. Some people are like, oh, I want a promised land, this new job, new career, etc. New relationships. Start inside and you'll see it outworking in, 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 in your life. Okay. I want to just, this last one. And we did this when, with the Encounter team. Yesterday, breaking soul ties. So you guys know all about this. Now, breaking soul ties, folks, this is a spiritual breaking of an unhealthy connection in relationships. Breaking soul ties, praying this prayer of breaking soul ties with somebody, particularly if you've been deeply wounded by somebody or somebody who has had a very negative, manipulative, controlling influence in your life, often it's spiritual. And as a believer, folks, if you're devoted to God, you have power, you have spiritual authority to break these things. Jesus said, whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Sometimes there's a relational bond and you have authority to break it. It is through the power of prayer. You can break unhealthy uh, influences of people in your life. That doesn't necessarily mean the relationship's going to be broken or you're dishonoring the person. But somebody who you should honor, like a parent, could still have a very negative, ungodly influence in your life and you can in the spirit break things off your life and break that negative spiritual influence in your life. It's called the prayer of breaking soul ties. And, and I, I mean, I heard this years ago. Um, my pastor did a whole sermon on breaking soul ties, and he actually used an example. There was, there was a movie. I can't even remember what this movie. It was a, it was a, a very edgy movie where, uh, about, I can't remember the title of the movie. Can you believe it? But basically, there was this relationship between a guy and a girl it wasn't romantic in the sense, but he broke up with her. Yes, it was called Fatal Attraction. It was a. It, it actually, I don't. I don't recommend the movie because it's very, it's very PG, like seventy-two. I think it is. Okay, so only Lynn can watch it. Lynn, you must watch it. Tell us what happens. Okay. <laughs> 
So, so anyway, so it's the story, if I remember correctly, where this guy breaks up with this girl, but he, she can't let go of him. And she's chasing him, and he gets violent, and she's really it's nasty. It's, it's, it's evil. I mean, there's, I can't remember what happened. I just remember like, whoa, I don't want, need this in my life, okay? But my pastor's used that, uh, that story, to, and, and he said that that woman, and often remember, now soul ties are good in healthy relationships. I am so happily soul tied to my wife. Oh, please don't break my soul tie with my wife. I love my soul tie with my wife. Amen. And I hope you love your soul tie with your spouse. Amen. But remember, sexual intimacy is one of the ways that we can actually form soul ties in our lives. Amen. So it's very important. For example, if there has been um, ungodly sexual relationships, as a SOZO team, as an encounter team, we will absolutely encourage people to pray prayers to break soul ties. Amen. It's one of the ways, you know, actually in, in Bible times, in the pagan, in the pagan temples, they, they used to have literally uh, these priestesses. They were prostitutes that would actually endeavor to sleep with people to establish unhealthy soul ties and literally, uh, you know, in, I mean, you literally opening the door to demonic influences in your life. It's one of the doors that you can have in your life. But the good news is you can break this, amen? Through a prayer in the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we can break soul ties, any ungodly and unhealthy relationships. It doesn't mean the relationship's nesting and a break. Dealing with relational dynamics is a whole nother topic of establishing boundaries and you know how much you talk and what you say and how often you see the person. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the spiritual influence and closing spiritual doors and the spiritual influence of people. Amen? Sorting out relationships and how often you see them and when they can call you or whatever. That's, that's a whole other thing. That's what we're talking about. I'm saying some people can't move into the promised land because they have unhealthy soul ties. They have a relationship that's keeping them there at Mount Horeb and they can't move into, into the promised land. And they need to break some soul ties. And so how do you do it? I'm going to give you this example. And all the encounter team guys said... Oh, this is easy pie. Done this before. Okay. What is it? You pray this kind of a prayer. And you pray it ideally with somebody who can pray with you in authority and break it. I pray, oh, sorry, I break all soul ties with dot dot. You put in the name. Okay. What is the name we were using yesterday? I think it was Carol. Okay. I break soul ties with Carol. Okay. It's not personal. That was the name that came up yesterday in the training. I break all soul ties with Carol and I sever and release all negative influence from them in my life in Jesus' name. It's a prayer of spiritual authority. Amen. And the next thing, I give back to Carol. Okay, put a name in there. What are we talking about the year? In a relationship, in a healthy relationship, we're building people up. We're edifying people. We're building their identity. We're building their sense of self-worth, etc. That's a healthy relationship. A negative relationship is a negative relationship where they are they, they're breaking you down. They, they, they're breaking you down with negative words. They're breaking down your identity, your value, your sense of self-worth, etc. So we want to give back all those negative words. What's the stuff? Okay, I mean, it may result in you giving back, I don't know, an engagement ring. 
I'm just using an example or something else, maybe physical things, but you are giving back all the negative stuff. I mean that they've spoken of you, all those negative words, those accusations, those lies. You're giving it back. I give back to, Carol, the things that are theirs. It's not mine. And I take back the things of mine. You're taking back all the th stuff that is yours, your sense of worth, your sense of identity, your sense of calling, your sense of value. You're taking it back, all the things that they try to steal from me. And I take back the things that are mine and I wash them in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Folks, that prayer takes a total of about 23 seconds. 23 seconds to be set free. How many of you think, I can do this? Okay. Now, I know this is very personal. And, and we're going to do this. I want to finish. I want to actually finish with that. How's our time doing? I want to finish with this. And I want to finish with an open invitation. If there are some people you need to forgive or prayers of repentance... Or prayers of breaking of soul ties. If you're sitting here and you're saying, wow, I've been at Mount, camping at Mount Horeb long enough. It's time for me to move on. And there's some work I need to do on the inside of me so that on the outside I can move on. Some of you are on the outside, you're stuck. You, uh, you need to do inside work. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to ask that we pray. But this is personal stuff. I can't. It would not. I would... I would not do you justice if I prayed from the front a generic prayer because some of the stuff you need to pray. I mean, forgiveness is a prayer you need to pray. Breaking soul ties, you need to pray. And repentance, you need to pray personally. I can't pray it for you. I can't pray generally over you even. You need to pray it. So, Lord Jesus, I do pray for all of us, Lord. Lord, and, and, and Lord, this, this is normal Christianity, just forgiving and repenting. And living in this, this is just what we do. This is how we roll as Christians, Lord. But Lord, for some of us, I know they're just convictions about some stuff that they just know. They need to break camp at Mount Horeb. They need to move on. They need to move on. And today's the day. And so, Lord, I just pray for boldness. I pray for clarity of convictions, Lord, that people would do business with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za. And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels, as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.